What's up, Comaniacs? Chad here. It's almost New Year's, and we know we promised you a new episode of the CME before the end of the year, but unfortunately, we're not going to be able to bring that to you at this moment. Instead, please accept this complimentary year-end episode of Doing the Damn Thing, where Ben and I talk about our favorite movies, books, and TV shows from 2021, and we also check in on our beloved Seattle Kraken while the NHL is on pause due to COVID. Also, shameless plug, if you like what you hear for free on this episode and you want more, you can head over to patreon.com slash event and join the team. Happy holidays, everybody. We will see you in the new year. up everybody i'm chad that's ben and we are doing the damn thing it's the new podcast exclusively for our capital g girls and guys the top tier patrons of the co-main event this is the show where we talk about all the non-mma related content we feel might be of interest to you guys we might talk movies we might talk tv we might talk books or even music we might just chat a bit about hashtag what's really going on in the world and in our lives ben it's the last patreon pod of 2021 we'll be back on monday with the proper but then you're you're skating out to a uh, a cross-country skiing vacation i believe and so you'll be gone the rest of the week so this is our last patreon production of the year uh i guess maybe in 2022 i'm gonna have to stop saying that doing the damn thing is new might have to drop that from the intro because now it's yeah. just a just a podcast exclusively for our capital G girls and guys. It's an established property at this point. That's right. <laughs> it's a it's a it's an established product. It's a known entity. Uh, so we're gonna do, I think, a a bullshit year end wrap up episode. Is that is that how you're uh, thinking of this? <laughs> sure, I am now. Now that I know that this is all bullshit. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so we will, we're going to talk about some stuff, you know, what, what happened, what transpired with the podcast this year. We're going to talk about the favorite things that we both read and watched and maybe listened to. I don't know. We're going to probably do a short cracking up at some point. There's just not a lot to talk about uh, with the Krakens because the NHL is not operational right now. So we will. There's some stuff to talk about with that, though. We will catch everybody up on that and uh, and do that at some point during the show. Um, I guess, first of all, man, this this obviously was a, a a very weird year, another weird year coming out of 2020. I think we many of us hoped that maybe we would get our feet under us a little bit more in 2021 than we actually did vis-a-vis the ongoing pandemic and our ability to get out of it. We appear in some ways still mired right in the damn thing here as we end 2021, although I know that there is a lot of... Uh, room for optimism and and hopeful signs going on out there, despite the fact that we now have this additional variant that appears to be more transmissible, even than the stuff that we had before. Uh, but it was, you know, dare I say, despite the fact that you lost your job this year. So apologies for that. But like, I feel like in retrospect, this was a really good year for the co-main event podcast and for the Patreon, because we did a bunch of things that we wanted to do this year that we set out to kind of do we wanted to grow the the subscriber list over on patreon we wanted to kind of in some ways uh standardize the offerings that we were doing over there on patreon make it a little bit less 
uh, by hook or by crook or catch as catch can. We did that a little bit, although, it, you know, with the lives that we lead, it's always going to be a little bit uh, subject to change from day to day. But I don't know, man, you look around as the dust settles and we're almost in 2022. I feel like the podcast itself accomplished some of the goals that we wanted to, to get done this year. You know what? When you put it like that, I agree. And uh makes me feel a little better. You mentioned me losing my job. Yeah, I'm um, sorry that you had to lose your job for us to get there. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, you got to break a few eggs, buddy. You got to break I mean, a few eggs. Honestly, I'm not that sorry. Um, I mean, I it would be nice to still have that regular paycheck and all the benefits that went with it. But that's really the only part I miss. That... That first year we worked for The Athletic, where it was me and you and the whole great team we had there with Dan Stepp as our editor and Fernanda and Sean and Chuck and Josh. And that was like, a, you know, that was a great team. It was the best team of MMA media people I've ever been on. Yeah. And the the work that we did in that first year, I felt like, was the best work being done in the MMA media. And I was very proud of everything that we all did and accomplished together. And it was great. And then massive layoffs hit the athletic in the early days of the pandemic and our team was cut to absolute shit. It was just massacred. And so it was just me and Sean basically. And we did the best we could, but it was an increasingly bad situation. It was just not that fun to work under. It harmed, I think not only my mental health, but also my enthusiasm for like being in the MMA media and so I didn't love it. I didn't love what we were doing and what was going on there. And it just got worse and worse and worse and deteriorated more and more. And, and Sean left and it was just me. That was even worse. And so then I knew eventually this is coming to an end. And I had, I've honestly been planning for my jobs in MMA media to end since I got my first job in MMA media and kind of saw how sports media went. So I was prepared in pretty much all ways. And when it finally came, it was a little bit of a relief to be like, okay, that's done. Like, I don't know if I could have brought myself to quit just because it might have felt irresponsible as like a person with responsibilities and children to look after and everything. But them taking that decision out of my hands, I was kind of glad and being like, okay. And ever since then, my my life has improved. My my enjoyment of my life has improved and my quality of life day to day has improved. And so, and like, putting more effort and energy into this podcast and all our CME associated properties has been a real breath of fresh air because we can do what we want with it. And, you know, you and I working in the MMA media for as many years as we have, you develop opinions about how you think it ought to be done and how nobody is doing it the way that it ought to be done. And then, you know, you realize, okay, we have our own thing. We could do it that way. Nothing's stopping us. And so that has actually been really nice. And you're right that it has... The, the end result is that we're the podcast and the whole CME thing is in a better place than it was this time last year. But I also feel like just mentally and personally, I'm in a better place than it was last year. So I, I think it all worked out for the best. Yeah. Dare I say we're actually pretty close to accomplishing our overall goal. And that is turning the co-main event podcast empire into a thing that could support both of us. If, if it came to that, that it's something approaching, a full-time job in more than just the hours that we put in, but it's also, uh, you know, a job that turns over something approaching a, a professional wage for the two of us. And like, yeah, we're, we're getting closer to that and we're going to try some new things early in the, in the new year that, uh, could put us over the top. I don't know. We'll have to kind of wait and see wh- how those work out. We're going to have a new, 
merchandising store that is going to be launching early in 2022 that is going to have a bunch of new products to offer that people could buy. We're, um, we're going to do some different advertising stuff over on the proper. It's all kind of uh, works in progress at the moment, but we're among friends here with the capital G girls and guys, the top tier patrons. So they might as well know. Uh, and so hopefully you will be sitting here a year from now uh, with the keys to our co-main event podcast, Ferrari sitting on the desk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's- our, our, our big problem is going to be figuring out which Lambo to take when we meet up for a CME lunch. That's right. That's right. Uh, remember what didn't, did, who was it? Oh, it was flow sports, right? That had like a Mustang. They bought a car. Yeah. yeah. They bought a Mustang at some point and was like all over their social media and stuff. And all the, every one of us who had worked in the, in the, uh, MMA industry for any amount of time at all was like, Oh, these guys got a Mustang, huh? That sure makes it seem like everything must be going great over there. Wonder where that Mustang is right now. Yeah, wonder who's got that Mustang. Uh, one of the things that we changed about the podcast this year was, frankly, the inception of doing the damn thing. We converted the uh, movie club over to a, to this an installment of the show that we hoped would be a little bit more nimble, that would allow us to do some different stuff. Uh, and I think it's been terrific. I think we both enjoy doing it. It's it's one of my favorite hours of the week when we get to talk about. You know, whatever it is that's going on or books that we've read or movies we watched, what have you. Uh, But in preparation for doing this end of the year show, I went back and I looked at all of the movies that we watched basically for the movie club. Some of the last few of them, obviously, we watched for doing the damn thing. But most of them we watched for the movie club. I put them on Twitter earlier today. If anybody follows me over there, they can see the full list of movies that we watched during the movie club. My number one takeaway, Ben, was, oh, my God, I had no idea we watched such a shitload of movies. Yeah, during, so many movies. During 2021. Like, I feel like if somebody just asked me, I would be like, oh, I don't watch that many movies. You know, I'm yeah. not a huge movie guy. But then you look at this list and like, we watched a fucking shitload of movies, man. Yeah. Going all the way back to Rocky Four, which actually went went up the post went up on new year's eve 2021 so maybe maybe it's a technicality maybe you want to say that was a 2020 movie but that's basically where we started the year and then we just watched uh a shitload of movies since then yeah and i when when i actually looked at the list that you put together i realized how my sense of time has been so warped because if you had asked me when did i finally succeed in getting this podcast to watch Tender Mercies, which has been a goal of mine for years, uh, I would have said two years ago, two, three years ago, you know, at least. It, it's weird to look at it all and be like, oh, shit, did all that last year? Like, I had kind of forgotten about some of the stuff. Spy Movie Month. We did Spy Movie. We did Time Travel Movie Month. I mean, yeah. it, that kind of blows my mind just to be able to step back and sort of relax my eyes and look at it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole list, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the movies that we watched that we feel like either were the best or we thought about them the most, or they had the most profound impact on us. Uh, as I was going back through this list, man, I was kind of surprised like how many pretty good movies we watched, like how many of these movies I actually have positive feelings about. Uh, you know, we watched hard times way back, probably in January, one of the first movies that we watched of this year. But I fucking loved Hard Times, man. The Charles Bronson movie about uh, bare knuckle fighting, essentially, which uh, even though they were doing kind of a a more boxing oriented thing, 
Uh, you could you could call it an MMA movie, like a proto MMA movie, maybe, and and that's still one that I think about a lot. I think that's really good. Uh, Primer, I think we would both say, is one that we think about a lot, uh, despite the fact that maybe we came out of it with differing overall opinions about whether or not it is a good it is a good movie. Uh, I still think about the raid that we watched. I still think about Winter's Bone. I think about Moonstruck. Uh, I think about. Uh, the crime and penalties, the Danbury Trashers documentary that we yeah. watched. And like, honestly, even though we watched it for doing the damn thing, I think still think a lot about the Ken Burns, Muhammad Ali documentary and kind of how interesting I thought it was, even though uh, I thought that I knew a lot about Muhammad Ali. But then when I watched this documentary, there was a bunch of stuff in there that I had never really even considered before. So it really not only changed my perspective on him as a man and as a fighter, but like changed the way I think about some aspects of fight sports today that like supplemented the stuff that I already knew. So that was terrific. Yeah. I think when I was looking back on it, I think that time travel movie month was my favorite just because getting into what's kind of a genre of film, but also not in the traditional ways we think of genre being broken up into like comedy, action, drama. uh, It allowed us to really look at what are the issues these kind of movies tend to deal with how what are the problems they face in getting their story together in a way that makes sense to us what are the you know kind of consistent roadblocks that they face as maintaining a believable story and then what are the different ways movies have gone about it trying to do that thing and especially grouping them all together and looking at very different ways of doing it from you know 12 monkeys to Looper, to Primer, to Hot Tub Time Machine. And I even watched a couple others that we had up for voting that didn't make, like the one from Spain, whose name escapes me now, um, but was very interesting. It Those are the kind of movies where I felt like, like Primer's a good example where, is it a good movie? Well, I don't, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I mean, it's not exactly a super fun movie, but it is probably the one of all of these that I have thought of the most often afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Like just its concept and the, the different way it went about making a time travel movie. I mean, especially like if you if somebody came to you and said, I'm going to make a time travel movie on a budget, on a really tight budget. You'd be like, <laughs> that's the wrong movie to make, bro. Don't don't make, you know, make a family drama. <laughs> make something where the it's 60% people sitting in a therapist office and it's the same therapist office. Like if that's if your budget is the problem, don't try for time travel. And yet this did it and it did it in a really interesting way. And I feel like, you know, while I won't say it's always a good sign that I spend a whole lot of time thinking about the movie afterwards or that I feel like I need supplementary materials to even understand, to fully understand what happened in that movie. That can be a bad sign. But in this one, I felt like it was just a, a a thinker that I where I appreciated it giving my brain a lot of fodder to just ruminate over yeah. uh, for, for weeks afterwards. I mean, Primer is, if nothing else, a super, uh, uh, like, imaginative movie and super ambitious. And it, uh, it's a movie that is super unique. I think also in the landscape of, of films that we've watched. And I think ultimately does accomplish the thing that it set out to accomplish and is kind of a home run in all of those respects. And like still feels like a movie that if you tell someone else to watch it, you have to provide caveats 
just sort of like primer is 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 worth watching and very interesting but when you go into it know several things about it turn the subtitles on for one uh yeah. and get ready to just be super confused like i have no idea how many times i would even have to watch primer to know that to know what happened in the plot of the movie and the other thing you would probably have to tell someone if you told them to go watch it was be prepared to watch a 30 minute youtube explainer mm-hmm. after it's over and then maybe you will have an inkling of what happened yeah um you know what else I appreciated was when we did Nick Cage movie month and yeah. just sort of seeing the arc of his career. And I felt like I understood more about where Nick Cage has been and that helped me understand where Nick Cage seems to be going. Like when we talked about this new movie where he plays Nick Cage and when we frankly went to see Pig in the theater, which I think was for both of us the first time we had gone to see a movie in a theater in uh, well over a year. So that was fun. Um, also... I mean, I know I kept beating this one over and over again. Uh, Tender Mercies, which I finally succeeded in getting you to watch. Uh, I've thought about that one a lot, especially, and, I, and I've discussed this with a therapist, in fact, even, like, about how there's a scene at the end of Tender Mercies. Robert Duvall has just learned, you know, that his daughter has died in a car accident. Um, he's angrily hoeing the little garden that's out in the back of their house. And he gives this speech where he talks about how he doesn't feel like he understands anything. Like, why did, why did my life go like this? And then, and this happened. I don't understand. Why did I come here? Why did you take pity on me and take me in? Why did these good things happen to me? And when I deserve bad things, why did bad things happen to other people who I think deserve better things? I don't understand anything. And he made some remark about how he said, I don't trust happiness and I never have. And it felt like, oh man. Like that is a a sort of a that's a kind a specific kind of disordered thinking that I think a lot of people fall into, and I think that I've fallen into at times where even if in times where you are, do feel like things are going well for you or you're happy, you're feeling like, but this can't be how it goes. Some the other shoe is going to drop. Something's going to happen, and that sort of like generalized anxiety about it. And I felt like it was not only put into words so well there, but so well performed by Robert Duvall in a way. Because it's, I think it's really tough to do a scene where a character is saying, this is how I feel about my entire life and about the things in that and about the, the human experience. It's tough to put that down in the script and then have faith that it's not just going to come out sounding really wooden. Like, we're here we are at the end of the movie. I got to give you something. I got to try to tell you what I was even trying to make a movie about. And Robert Duvall handles it so well that it, it feels very genuine. Like he is just sort of like frustrated and it's all just sort of coming out in ways that he didn't know that he he had thought about it before. Yeah. And I felt like, man, that's a really effective example of what like film or drama or anything, like what it can do, you know, what, what it adds to our lived experience to as viewers to sit through and see it is to see it reflected and be like, oh shit, there it is. I didn't know that that's what I was feeling. And then I saw it on the, in the movie and I went, wow, okay. Now I, I guess I have that to think about. Uh, that kind of shit stays with me, I think. If you're going to make a low-budget movie, make Tender Mercies. Yeah. I mean, you do have to shell out for Robert Duvall, but uh, you, know, you get him in this period where, man, if you'd have told... Robert Duvall has just never looked young. Never ever in his life has looked young. So we get him in the 80s and you're like, yep, that looks like Robert Duvall. All right. 
Yeah. Put him in a cowboy hat. He's a country singer. <laughs> uh, we watched a fair amount of what might be considered MMA movies this year. I said I mentioned Hard Times earlier. We also watched Warrior. We watched The Smashing Machine. And then we ended yeah. up watching uh, Bruised right at the end of the year for, for doing the damn thing. So while we set out to you know, set up the movie club as a thing where we could watch movies that weren't necessarily about the thing that the rest of our podcasts are about. Like we did in fact engage with it a fair amount. And like, I thought it was interesting to go back and watch the smashing machine again. And then of course you, you interviewed the director of the smashing machine, which we put up on the Patreon at one point. Uh, And the, you know, all this year kind of leading up to, to bruised. And so I started to kind of think about, I guess, if you discount uh, Kingdom, which obviously is a television show, so a different a different kind of a deal. Well, now let's throw it in there. Warrior and Kingdom are the two best fictional dramatizations of MMA, correct? Yeah. Why do you think it's so hard to make a good MMA movie or TV show? And is it like one of these things with with you and me and maybe a lot of people who listen to the show where it's like if when a movie comes out or a TV show comes out that is so close to to one of your actual interests or the thing that you actually do, like it's so close to you that your knee jerk reaction is to kind of reject a bunch of it. Is is that a big part of it for us? I think that has to be some of it. And yet I have seen movies about other interests of mine where I felt like, okay, they really got it. Um, but I, I, obviously MMA people are naturally sort of overly protective of this thing. And I think a lot of that, especially for people like you and me who were around following this thing when it was a real chore to follow it, when it was even just seeing the fights was a challenge and it was, it felt like it was constantly being attacked by more mainstream forces. And so you felt like you were always fending that off. And so I think that that overly protective impulse kind of got baked into MMA early on and has never entirely left, even for the people who weren't around during that. But I also think that MMA has a problem in that it's still new enough, even while being mainstream now, that most of the movies made about it had to assume that the audience does not know what this is and needs at least a little bit of an education in it. Like maybe they've seen it or heard of it before, but they don't really know what this is or how it works. And so some of the movie must be spent doing that and that we got to make it broadly uh, an appeal to everybody. It can't just be a movie for MMA fans because there's just not enough of them to make a movie like that viable. I think you start to see, though, like in some of the more recent ones, like Bruised, for its many faults, shows that you can make an MMA movie and you don't have to like explain to people what the fuck MMA is is not one of the problems that you have anymore. Right. Warrior doesn't feel like a movie that feels that way. Warrior seems like it does feel the need to explain some of this stuff to you. And I think you can make great boxing movies because they didn't face that. By the time movies were a thing... Boxing had been a part of American culture for long enough that even the people who didn't follow boxing, they got what the idea was. You didn't have to explain too much about how that world worked to them. Yeah, so you can get in with a, a tight 70-minute Rocky Four because you don't have to explain this. <laughs> well, because it's all people. montages, but right. yeah. Uh, there was a director's cut or some kind of like additional cut of Rocky Four came out this year. Uh, I have not watched it. Some people have said that it's good. It makes me feel a little bit suspicious of it because uh, 
both of you and I came out of our viewing of Rocky Four really enjoying its brevity. I think like yeah. enjoying enjoying the fact that it's essentially a straight line from one thing to another. That Rocky Four really seems to understand what you want from it, and it's like, okay, I'm going to give you these things. This is what you yeah. want. You want a you want a driving montage. You want a training montage. You want a fight montage. There you go. And that's the end of the movie. And then I, I'm not sure either of us would say that we thought that the problem with Rocky four was that there needed to be more of it, but I still do kind of want to <laughs> see the, see the extra cut, see what, see what's, uh, what, what the additions are there. I mean, do you want to see a mad paint to the Mona Lisa too? <laughs> yeah. Know? You know, maybe some, uh, some eyeliner. Why don't we go slap some clay onto the thinker? See, let's see, just see if we can't improve it by just adding more. No, man, you strip away. Everything that is not essential and what you have left is a fucking masterpiece. Let me ask you this. All these movies that we watch, what do you think is the worst movie that we watched this year? Oh, God. Um, let me see here. Let me consider the list. I can tell you that there are definitely movies on here that I had totally forgotten that we watched. I would yeah. put The Man from Uncle yeah. as, as Man- one of those. But that was just like, I felt like solidly just very mediocre and forgettable rather yeah. than being actively bad. I th- well, I mean, Godzilla versus Kong would probably be up there for me. And again, one that when I looked at it, I was like, oh, yeah, we watched Godzilla versus Kong uh, just basically because it came out on HBO Max while we were doing Monster Movie Month. Um I would say like my two choices would probably be Godzilla versus Kong and Val. Okay. Well, shit. Which one was Val? Val was the Val Kilmer documentary. Oh, oh shit, man. I liked the hell out of that. That was great. Uh, okay. I would say Mortal Kombat. Oh God. I said, I didn't even see Mortal Kombat on the list. Yeah. That was fucking Mortal Kombat fucking sucked. And it wasn't even like sucky in a fun or entertaining way. It was just like sucky and boring somehow. Which, you know what I'll say, though, I think for me, the biggest surprise on this list was Bombshell, Hmm. the Charlie's Theron movie about the whole like Fox News sexual harassment scandal with Roger Ailes and everything, because I don't know, it just like you said at the time, there are so many guys in this movie, so many like just actors, name actors in this movie that you see them keep showing up. And I remember feeling like when I saw that advertisement was first coming out, like, okay, it's a bunch of Hollywood elites going to gang up on Fox news. Not that they don't deserve it and everything, but still, uh, it feels a little too gleeful. And then going and watching it and being like, okay, this does feel like they tried to do a nuanced take on it. And I was just blown away by how Charlie's Theron was like, I'm not going to go in there and just play Charlie's Theron as Megan Kelly. I'm going to try to just get every aspect of Megan Kelly down. And so when you watch it, you honestly see more Megan Kelly in that than you can see of Charlie's Theron. It was kind of amazing to me. Yeah. And it didn't hurt that uh, we watched bombshell and monster on back to back weeks. Right. So we got to see a lot of range from Charlie's Theron in those two performances. It's also interesting for me to look at this list and think, uh, we watched Leaving Las Vegas, which is a movie that upon rewatch, I thought really held up like that's still a, a very good movie. Uh, I'm still fanning myself over 90s Elizabeth Shue a little bit after watching that months later. And then we watched 12 Monkeys, which was one where I watched and I was kind of like, I'm not going to say that this is bad, but it's still kind of it feels like maybe it doesn't hold up quite as feels well. Very, feels very dated. Very yeah. 90s. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that was an interesting experience with that too. Uh, any other movie here on this list or experience that we had doing the movie club this year that you wanted to, to point a finger at and say, this was an interesting thing that happened for, for whatever reason. You know, I still think about Red Army a lot, the yeah. uh, Soviet hockey documentary, even though that came with some criticism about some of its its own version of history. But some of those lines from it, I still find myself thinking, like I'm just be walking my dog and think about the guy saying, uh, we had fish one day a week. It was Thursday. <laughs> like, shit like that. Like. Uh, the the depiction that it had of Soviet Russia in the 70s and 80s and the system these people uh, came up under, but then also some of this old footage of them playing hockey. Uh, I thought that was very striking. Yeah, yeah, that's a good show. Um, all right, well, let's uh, end our discussion of the movie club there, and we can, at this point, segue into doing what I assume will be a brie- abbreviated update on our beloved Seattle Kraken. Let's go ahead and do Kraken Up. Madison Bowie, they grind along the boards. Out of the scrum, Bastion in front. Shannon! Ben, since the last time we recorded Kraken Up, the Seattle Kraken have in fact played all of one game. It was a 5-3 loss to the Oilers on Saturday, December 18th. That has been the only game that the Kraken have played between then and now because the entire NHL has pushed the pause button until after the Christmas holiday due to an outbreak of the Omicron variant of COVID-19. I also saw release out maybe today or yesterday, must have been yesterday, that uh, NHL players will not participate in the Olympics. They will not be going to to Beijing to do that amid these virus concerns. And so uh, while the other professional sporting leagues, I think, still have no intention of of pausing the seasons, the NHL kind of had no choice but to take a little time out here. At this point, things are scheduled to get back underway I believe Monday, December 7th would be on the December schedule. December 27th, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, December 27th uh, would be the Kraken's next scheduled game against Vancouver. And even that feels speculative at this point and maybe even a little hopeful, a little wishful to think yeah. they'll be back on, on that Monday. Well, it does seem interesting. I don't know about you, but I started to get flashbacks of the day and the week that sports paused. So I, re- I feel like I remember it pretty well that in like sort of mid late March uh, 2020 where it felt like sort of all at once mm, the NBA has some outbreaks is it stopping the NHL says it's stopping and you went like oh wait a minute here we go something is happening here and so hearing the NHL and it seems at least partially influenced by we had a scheduled little break for Christmas coming up anyway but looking at it, I mean, like, we got a few games on the schedule between now and then, but we're just not going to play them. And we're going to see if we can get our arms around this thing after a little break and then pick up uh, right after Christmas. And you're right, it does seem hopeful that if we just take a few days off and get our testing protocol a little stricter, maybe we'll be able to get back to normal operations. But, you know, I was reading an ESPN story about this 
uh, it said that uh, uh, here I'll read this. This is from a story on ESPN by uh, Emily Kaplan. It says it's been a challenging week for the NHL as 11 teams have suspended operations and the game postponed all games through Christmas that involves cross-border travel between Canada and the U.S. More than 15% of the league's players were in virus protocols as of Monday night. Um, Jad, I also want to note <laughs> down here toward the end of the story, it talks about how the NHL has reintroduced stricter protocols, uh, going back to daily testing instead of once every three days, uh, has tightened its social distancing uh, measures and, and restrictions on where players can go. Um, there is only one player who is not vaccinated in the NHL, Detroit Red, Red Wings forward Tyler Bertuzzi. The NHL and NHLPA have recommended the vaccine booster to players, but do not have plans to mandate it this season. Man, it's for one thing, it's a commentary on the NHL as compared to other pro sports where everybody but one guy is vaccinated. I mean, shit, imagine comparing that with the UFC. Holy fuck. But also, it's got to be tough to be that one guy because if it were even, you know, seven, eight guys. Then you could just you could hide in the the shuffle a little bit, but when it's just you, mm-hmm. you're the only guy. You really stand out. And there's a story here from uh, Yahoo Sports that shows they like, highlights a little moment somebody captured and posted to Twitter where uh, Bertuzzi, the game between the Devils and the Red Wings, uh, and the Devils defenseman uh, Mason Geertsen is getting into him with him after the whistle, uh, and then you could clearly hear the devil's player say, go get vaccinated. Go get vaccinated. <laughs> He's talking shit to him for not being vaccinated out there on the ice. And it's like, man, yeah, everybody's going to know that thing about you, man. Yeah. Everybody's going to know. Do you think Bertuzzi thinks everybody turned into pussies overnight? I mean, at this point, do you think that he feels like, well, I can't go get vaccinated now. Right. It will back down. I will. Yeah. I will. I'll show my ass. <laughs> I can't, it'll look like I'm caving in and I got to stick with it. But you know, he's got to be thinking like, I don't know, it'd be great if it wasn't, I mean, it's turned into an on ice chirp. Yeah. People talking about how you're not vaccinated. Yeah. Not to get off on a tangent, but speaking of chirping, I saw that you waded into the discourse. You know, sometimes I can't not, you know, Mm -hmm. I just can't not. Turned Uh, me into the uh, Grandpa Simpson gif. Where you walked in, took off your hat, did pick it back up, mm-hmm. so walked I, right back I, out again. I, I had been wrapping presents for my kids, wrapping all the Santa presents earlier today, and uh, decided to check out Twitter as I often do. Uh, fired up the app, saw that you had waded into the discourse with Aljamain Sterling, grabbed my hat off the hat rack, turned around, walked right back out the door, went back to wrapping the Santa presents for my kids. I mean, ninety nine percent of the time, I can see this stuff and just ignore it because there's no point but sometimes we're just like man how deep are we into this thing and still the just asking questions crowd is out there man you had a chance to ask the questions bro and they have been answered over and over you see there was that thing i think it was like put out like on twitter where it was like dr fauci specifically talking to one person to address his questions and concerns about the vaccine. And by the end, I think he convinces him, but you're like, okay, great. What, so we just have to do this millions of times. Every Let's single clear guy. some schedule, clear, clear some schedule time for Dr. Fauci. Cause he's going to have to talk to like basically everyone in MMA for one thing. 
but it's just like, man, we, we've been doing this for so long at this point. And I guess, you know, when you, you talk about a little bit of our year in review attitude and it's like, the thing that feels different now is we know so much more through like we've earned that knowledge the hard way a lot of times, but we have so much more information than we did uh, earlier on in this whole thing. And yet still, still people are just going to refuse to learn anything. Yeah. And it's frustrating. Very frustrating. No, I agree. Uh, so let's just to, just to wrap it up here on cracking up the Seattle Kraken. Forgot we even talked about the Kraken. 30 games played. 10, 11, or 10, 17, and 3 overall. Still in last place over there in the uh, Pacific Division. But boy, when we fire this thing up again, folks, the Canucks are going down. Yeah. You know what? Maybe this is all the Kraken need. Yeah. They just need a little bit of time to, to refresh and reflect. And then they'll realize Monday, it's a work day again. Time yep. to get back mm-hmm. to work. You, you know what? Just, sometimes it's a little bit of time off. Get your head right. Get your mind straight. And then come out there ready to bring it to these fuckers. Yeah. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think uh, I'm going to predict Kraken go undefeated mm-hmm. for the rest of the season. That yeah. seems right. That sounds mm-hmm. right to me. Undefeated. Yep. All right. Uh, I, have a, I have on my computer a list of what I consider to be the best television that I watched this year, or at least the television that, that I have reflected on the most. And I also have a list of the books that I read that I feel like were the best. I'm going to let you decide where we start. You want to go literary or do you want to uh, keep it in the mainstream with the, with the idiot box? Let's start with the idiot box. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's one show that we as the co-main event podcast need to discuss collectively first and foremost. And if anybody has listened to the show during the second half of the year at all, this will come as no surprise because Tim Robinson's, I think you should leave has entered (laughs) the discourse in a lot of different ways. And honestly, like as a, I'm not like a big stand up comedy guy and I'm not a big sketch comedy guy. And so the extent to which I enjoyed I Think You Should Leave and have been able to watch it over and over and over again and find new shit about it that I like and appreciate is has been a revelation. And I think that Tim Robinson's personal story is super rad and kind of inspiring. And like, uh, I love the shit out of this show because it is simultaneously so stupid and also like so visionary, like so kind of smart. Because I don't know how you would sit down and write even one of these sketches, which are so dumb, but at the same time, so consistently are hilarious and kind of take you in surprising directions when you watch them. Yeah, I mean, that I, you talking about how would you even sit down to write some of these is a, a, a good point, because I, I got to assume that we're kind of working through them more than we're writing them. Because some of like one of the things that I like about this show is like it completely subverts your expectations of a sketch comedy show. That yeah. it's not doing the usual form of that where we're like establishing a present pre uh, uh, something and everybody else going, oh, I don't know if this makes sense. Uh, you know, and we're just like coming around to the inevitable conclusion kind of stuff. It's just starting out somewhere weird, going weird, or getting fucking bizarre, and somehow remaining really funny. 
and engaging the entire time. And like, especially it was a weird show to come to where I felt like everybody else in the world had already heard about it. I got convinced by the patrons, the good patrons of the CME podcast, to turn it on and check it out. And by then I had already seen a couple of the memes, but didn't really understand them. And there were even some of them, like... The one where he goes up at the funeral to sing the Friday night song at what appears to be his mother's funeral. Yeah. I think I had seen that clip and then expected when I finally saw the sketch that it would fill me in on some stuff that would make that make more sense. And it doesn't. (laughs) And yet it's still just fucking delightful. Everything you need to know about what is even going on there, you can kind of tell just from the clip that people share online. But it's still like somehow the entire thing where you just sort of sit back and you can be taken on a ride that, as you said, you can keep finding new things each time. Yeah. Uh, Plus that guy, Tim Robinson, I sent you that clip of him showing up uh, at the the Office Hours live podcast. And he, I just look at him and I am ready to laugh. Something about the guy. Just looking at him as soon as he starts talking, I'm I'm already pretty sure it's funny. Yeah. Well, you know that Tim Robinson's personal story as the only person who has ever been elevated from the writer's room of Saturday Saturday Night Live to being a performer on Saturday Night Live and then being asked to return to the writer's room. <laughs> like they took him off the show because they were basically like, we don't think you're funny. And then... He has gone on to kind of have his revenge. Uh, he probably doesn't think about it that way, but like to to like have this personal renaissance with I think you should leave, which is like has been a, a huge hit for himself and for Netflix in the wake of that. Yeah. Um, the other show that I watched that I think uh, I enjoyed the most was Only Murders in the Building mm-hmm. yeah. on Hulu with Martin Short, Steve Martin. Uh, those two, I, I've always loved Martin Short and Steve Martin, and especially together. I mean, we get into some Three Amigos shit, yeah. and uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Only Murders in the Building I also watched. I was kind of surprised how much I enjoyed it because there had been some lukewarm reviews of it out there, and I kind of understand how you would have... Or how you, it's like some people wouldn't like it, but I enjoyed the shit out of it. Uh, it's very, have you ever watched Search Party? The show that's on HBO Max that has uh, the actress who played Maybe in uh, Arrested Development? No. I can't remember her name. So Search Party is just a fucking insane show that's on HBO Max that starts out as like kind of a, like our group of friends found out that a girl that we knew in college had gone missing and we get kind of obsessed with it and we're going to try to solve the crime. Uh, and then it just gets fucking off the wall crazy. And I recommend it for people, but with a certain amount of trepidation just because it gets super fucking weird. Only murders in the building. I thought was sort of like search party for boomers. Uh, (laughs) but at the same time, like, like I really liked it and I thought it was, is it was good. And I consistently like Steve Martin, but I don't always like Martin short. So, uh, I was, I found him to be charming in this role though. I enjoyed it. Um, th- I'll tell you what, uh, I've been very slowly working my way through finally after all these years is the Sopranos. Oh really? Yeah. I went back and rewatched the pilot and part of the first episode this year when there was sort of like the Sopranos, uh, Renaissance when people were, were writing about the Sopranos and how the Sopranos has had, or found a surprising life among young people in on in on the streamers. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, what, what are yeah, your thoughts? Right. What do you think about Sopranos? Like, what the, you know what? Had uh, you never seen it before? I'd only seen like pieces of it, but I'd never like I didn't have HBO back when it was first on, and I just didn't get. I, I think I maybe I had tried to watch it before and didn't get very far, and so a lot of it was very new to me. One thought I had was I was like, for one thing, there's a show that loves a dream sequence. Yeah. Yeah. You don't see so much anymore. Right. Well, you got to um, take it into account, though, that it was like one of the it was like basically the first show of the prestige TV era and right. was like one of the first shows that was doing this sort of like very realistic modern mob story, but was also unafraid to get weird. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was at times I felt like tough for me going back and watching it now and being like. I don't know if I see anything so visionary here, but then wondering, is that because it was so successful in its in the ways in which it was visionary that it got copied in, yeah. in multiple different ways? And so that stuff started to seem pretty commonplace. And I think you're right that it is was like uh, unique as what it was doing for prestige TV that. And, and has a lot of ways, big and small, that it got replicated. And so that, you know, kind of like. A lot of like Ernest Hemingway stuff where you go back and you read it now and you're like, oh, this doesn't seem so different. And you're like, well, it's because a lot of people tried to write like that afterwards and it was different than what came before. And I think that some of that definitely holds true with The Sopranos. I also feel like, though, when I'm kind of binging it going back, The Sopranos will often get off on plot lines that I just am not interested in. And don't and, and characters that I'm not interested in and don't give a fuck about. And so I end up being like, okay, I got to take a little break from this because just stuff that you're trying to get me interested in right now, I just do not care. Uh, and I got, I'll come back to it later. Yeah. Uh, once about, I guess it would be almost a decade ago. Now I tried to watch the Sopranos with my wife who has never seen it. And it was just an absolute no go. She just, <laughs> we just like watched the first couple of them and she was just like, nope. Nope. Too many men, too many men doing man stuff. Can't tell them apart. So not interested. Fair fair point. I've actually thought about it a lot, though, uh, recently, because I am now two episodes away from my own complicated watch of binging succession. Like I'm I'm almost done with it. I have to watch the the eighth and ninth episode of the third season, which would catch me up to uh, to where the show is at this point. And like, I have complicated feelings about it, man. Like, uh, I tried to watch it when it first came out and got about two thirds of the way through the first season and then bailed. But now after, you know, seeing all of the media love for it and everybody's love for it, I went back to, to re binge it. And, and, uh, I think that if you just consider like the surface level writing at the sentence level or like the dialogue level, it might be the best written show I've ever seen before. Like I would put it right up with, you know, Deadwood or the wire or something in terms of how it's, it's actually written because every single line in succession is just like pitch perfect and it's funny and it's also horrifying and everything that they say is operating on five different levels at the same time. And the show itself is just like flawlessly, beautifully made. It's just so well crafted, and all of the performances are unbelievable. And they like, it's one of these shows where like it's got such a deep roster of actors, and every single person in it is amazing. Like, even the smallest role is played by a person who just absolutely fucking nails it, that, that it's just completely flawless. And I hate watching it. 
Like, I fucking despise it, man. It fills me with so much dread every time I watch it. And so... And initially, my 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 feeling of like why I hated it was because everyone in it is so shitty. Like, because it's about it's basically like about the Murdochs, right? So you're basically viewing this one percent family of billionaires who live in this totally isolated, siloed off world from the rest of the of humanity, and like it's about their kind of like trials and tribulations and their lives and all this this stuff and i was like man i frankly just like don't give a shit about this and why would i want to sit and watch a show about all of these like horrible terrible people and then i had to reflect that like that same charge is basically true about almost all of the like big budget prestige tv shows of the past like it's certainly true of the sopranos like it is true for the most part about breaking bad it is true in many ways about uh mad men and so i've had to reckon with myself of like why am i charging succession with this standard that i wouldn't necessarily hold up for other shows and i think part of it is because i am older now and like i can i have a better understanding of like what I am interested in and who is like good and who is bad and who I want to invest my time in. And the other part of it, I think is sort of like what we were talking about with MMA earlier, where it's like this show hits so close to home with what life in America in 2021 is actually like. And that there is in fact, this like ruling class of frankly oligarchs that is just sort of like, it makes me feel existential dread more than anything else. So like, I respect it for being a flawless diamond, but, (laughs) but it's like also not a diamond that I want to wear around with me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't really sell it to me there. I gotta be honest. I don't, I don't know if dread existential dread is the feeling I'm looking for when I have a little bit of downtime and can watch some TV. I think I'll probably just keep rewatching 30 rock. If that's what it comes down to. There you go. Just keep watching. I think you should leave over and over again. Uh, the other li- shows I had on my list, uh, Ted Lasso season two, I enjoyed a lot. Uh, the squid game, which was obviously widely lauded as a huge hit for Netflix, uh, reservation dogs, which I've been trying to get you to watch so we can talk about it on the show is I watched the first episode. It's a fucking amazing show. Hacks was pretty good. And then like, I've still been very slowly working my way through, warrior the tv show which is the hbo max show that Mm. takes place in like the early or late 1800s and is about chinese immigrants coming to uh america and getting involved in the underworld basically it's kind of like a martial arts show it's like a it's it bills itself as being based on the writings of bruce lee even though that might be a stretch i don't know yeah and it's like pretty good and it's fun to watch and Uh, I've heard only gets better in its second season. So I'm excited to get into the second season of it, but it's also like, it's an enjoyable watch. And is one of those things where like I can watch it and then never think about it again, which is sometimes that's, that's the shit you want. Favorite 30 rock joke of the year. is where we learned that Tracy Jordan owns an all giraffe basketball team, the New York Knicks. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. All right, what you, before we go, you got any books you want to shout out as good books you read this year? Yeah, I read uh, I read quite a few books actually. The ones that I nerd uh selected out for potential discussion. 
are uh, Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam, which is probably the best book that I read this year, which just scared the fucking shit out of me. Uh, the Searcher by Tana French, which is Tana French is always good. The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead, who obviously doesn't need me to shout him out, but like I had never read any of his stuff. And like the Nickel Boys, I think is a pretty good entry point because it's fairly short and it's fairly straightforward. And uh, it seems easily accessible by my own reading standards and the standards of other people and is also just really fucking good. Uh, I read a super weird book called the thousand crimes of Ming Su by Tom Lin, which is like kind of a Western, but is also has some magical realism and like supernatural elements to it. And then I read the turnout by Megan Abbott, who is, uh, an accomplished thriller and uh, mystery writer. And the turnout is about a couple of sisters who are ballerinas who run a ballet school. So not what you might expect for a backdrop for a, for a mystery, but it's, it's quite good. Uh, my favorite book I read this year, my favorite novel anyway, was Cloud Cuckoo Land by mm-hmm. Anthony Doerr, which I, I mentioned before. I, I got it for my wife for Christmas, so don't tell yeah. her. That's a good one. It's a good one to get for Christmas. Uh, one of my other favorite, probably my favorite nonfiction book I read this year, Friend of the Podcast, The Good Doctor, Pat Wyman's yeah. The Verge, Reformation, Renaissance, and 40 Years That Shook the World. It's just really well done and fascinating information and a really good way to like write a history book, frankly, is to pick this one time period, uh, have some sort of themes that you want to explore, some ideas, uh, like why this was an important time period, and then look at them through the lens of individual people's lives that are really varied and different uh, from like Christopher Columbus to like a German mercenary you never heard of, but who seems fucking rad and insane. And all just really well-written, well-organized, uh, and I highly recommend it if you haven't read it already. I also, um, well, I read the novelization of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that Quentin oh, right. Tarantino wrote. That you was, did that, read was that. that was fun and weird. Um, I also got into reading uh, the Porter novels uh, by Richard Stark, um, or Parker novels, sorry. Uh, do you remember the Mel Gibson movie Payback? Yeah. Uh, that's the Parker character. Oh, okay. And I think payback is basically based on the first one of those. And then, but like after his, his problems with the, the, the outfit, Parker has to go and get a surgery to change his entire face, which leads to a second book, the man with the getaway face. Okay. Um, they but take they're his good. face off. <laughs> they take his face off, put a different face off bond, but uh, they're good crime novels for what they are and are just kind of like fun uh, to get through and if you're looking for like sort of a crime novel break from or like you don't like the heavy literary reading I recommend the Richard Stark Parker novels and you don't even really have to go in order you can kind of just start wherever it doesn't matter it's good to know I would say my top recommendation is leave the world behind by Ruman Alon uh, it's about a family that goes to an Airbnb and is staying there while the world ends Okay, cool. And it's like uh, super creepy and weird and and not totally like a horror book, but by my standards, like was super fucking scary, but it's really just really, really well done. So if you want to. Also, I would say uh, for people who if you are a fight history nerd, combat sports history nerd, uh, I recommend the book Black Genesis, uh, which is about the history of like black prize fighters in the bare knuckle era uh, coming up in like the English prize ring kind of thing. And uh, 
really well done, just exhaustively researched. And if you're into that kind of shit, it, it'll tell some stories that you haven't heard before. All right, that's going to wrap it up this week for doing the damn thing. Thanks for sticking with us, guys. We do appreciate you, the top-tier patrons of the co-main event. And stick around next year. We're going to keep doing the damn thing, and we're going to have a bunch of cool new shit. I'm sure that will happen throughout 2022. So thank you for listening. Thanks for all your support this year. We'll see you on Monday for the proper. As for right now, we are done. We are done.